This is episode 35 of the CB Northwest and Camp Tadmore Events Podcast. This episode begins the session from our most recent event, Men's Roundup 2019, Kingdom and Community. This is session one, Friday night, with Rick McKinley. Good evening. Men's Roundup. How are you guys doing tonight? Yeah. Yeah. I heard that um, 700 chickens have already given their life for this event, for dinner. Yeah, each got half a chicken. I hope you're happy with that. Well, my, my name is Rick McKinley. Uh, I'm a pastor at Imago Day Community. That's really my main job. 20 years ago, my wife and I and our four kids moved from La Grande, Oregon. Yes, all four of us from LeGrand to, uh, I was working at First Baptist Church in LeGrand and we moved uh, to Portland to plant the church. Started with 15 kids, really 18 year old kids in our uh, living room. And from there we've, we've grown, we've been there a long time and we planted a church called Imago Dei Community. Uh, Imago Dei is Latin for image of God. But in Portland, we figured it would be better that they didn't know what it meant. (laughs) Because in Portland, they're more likely to join a cult than a church. I know cult jokes never work, but... (laughs) So so we've been there for 10 years, and God has been very gracious, and we have uh, enjoyed uh, CB Northwest, Mark Hafner, helped us get going, and it's been just fun to be a part of this family, uh, to be in relationship together, and to see what God's doing. And so this weekend, one of the things that I've been asked to talk about is to try to answer the question of what does it mean to be the people of God now? What does it mean in our time, in our place, in our moment to be men who follow Jesus faithfully in a world that is increasingly hostile to our faith? One of the advantages of living in Portland is you have to understand some things about culture or you'll just be a guy with a Bible in an empty room, right? Portland is proudly progressive and proudly, you know, post-Christian or if it ever was Christian. I don't think there's a post. I think we're still pre-Christian. Um, we, Portland is home to the, the wonderful naked bike ride that I'm sure all of you have attended. Um, <laughs> and when you hear naked bike ride, you think of four weirdos on a bike somewhere, but that wouldn't be the case. It's 13,000 people. And they're not the people you were hoping were on the naked bike ride, (laughs) by the way. (laughs) And so we're in a city that is just sort of upside down that way. The mayor asks that you wear shoes and at least a helmet. Uh, The seats have other requests, right? But nobody listens to the seats. How many of you are from urban context? Would you raise your hand? Urban? Like cities? Okay. How many of you are from rural context? 
Yeah. But why did you bring me here to speak to these people? No, I was from LeGrand. I get it. So what does faithfulness look like now? What does it mean for us to be the people of God in our time and place? Is it possible that the good news would be good news for all people here and now? And I believe this is a really hopeful moment for the church, but I also believe it's a refining moment. And so tonight what I want us to do is I want us to spend some time thinking about the stories that we find ourselves in, the stories that we live in, and compare those stories to the story that Jesus has given us to live in. It invites us to, I think when we understand this, it'll invite us to new ways of being followers of Christ, and those ways are exciting, they're challenging, but I think if we understand our place here and now as God's faithful people in a more hostile environment, it is an exceptional time to be a Jesus person who is on mission for the King. And if you've come with churches, it's my prayer that you would, you would get something to take home this week that would, would help you to be a more faithful witness of Christ in your communities. And I would ask you to make three commitments before we start this weekend. And the first commitment is that you would be men. You would begin to think like men who are responsible for Jesus, his church, in this moment. Not just that we're here, we're part of a church group, but, but that we as God's men would begin to think as those who are responsible for his bride in this moment of time. I would ask that you be willing to change personally and corporately. We are always called to change. If you're a follower of Jesus, then change should be normal for you. We are continually crucifying the flesh and being made alive by the Spirit. And so we need to be ready to change and that we would commit to take up new ways, perhaps, that we haven't to be courageous and bold about our witness in this moment of time. Those are the three commitments that I would ask you to make as we go forward. So tonight I want to talk about the stories that we live in, the contemporary stories and, and the reality is that these are what, what they would call meta-narratives. These are stories that they believe are absolutely true. And because they are so committed to them being absolutely true, they believe that they will lead ultimately to utopia. These, started, these stories started hundreds of years ago with philosophers that were so enamored with humans and progress, that they believed that through various philosophies we could arrive one day at a sense of utopia. And that's where these stories find their beginning. The first story really is the story of individualism. I have some slides that I want you to follow along with. Individualism, and that essentially a story that says, I make my own story. I make my own reality. One of the favorite 
poems that kind of encapsulate this is Invictus. Have you, any of you watched the movie Invictus? Uh, it's a few years old. It's about um, Nelson Mandela and him, you know, fighting apartheid. And he reads this poem. It says, out of the night that covers me, black as the pit from pole to pole, I thank whatever gods may be for my unconquerable soul. In the fell clutch of circumstance, I have not winced nor cried aloud. Under the bludgeonings of chance, my head is bloody but unbowed. Beyond this place of wrath and tears looms but the horror of the shade, and yet the menace of the years finds and shall find me unafraid. It matters not how straight the gate, how charged with punishment the scroll. I am the master of my fate. I am the captain of my soul. That is a story that encapsulates this story of individualism. And, and, and it's attractive to our fallenness, right? That's like, yeah, I want to be that man. I want to be the guy that's self-made. I'm going to be the guy that nobody, I don't bow down to nobody. And there's a whole bunch of problems with that. One is just that we're, we're like a very broken people. I, I tore my Achilles heel in March in one of the few preaching uh, injuries that you could actually have preaching. <laughs> Just, I was just walking up the stairs to the stage, and I popped, I heard this pop, and my Achilles is gone. And I'm like whispering to somebody, hey, can I get a stool? I need a stool. And I preach through both of them, which is just incredible, right? <laughs> no, it ruins your Invictus moment. <laughs> Where you're like, I will not bow to, oh my gosh, I can't walk, I... And yet, it's the belief that one day, through, through my sort of unhindered energy and choices and decisions, I will reach a sense of individualism, and I will achieve utopia. The second major story that we find ourselves in is the story of the state, right? Which means that we will defend our freedom and way of life. The, 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 the thing that I couldn't pass up was the illustration for this is from Braveheart. Do we have that? Yes. I mean, come on, it's a men's gathering. We need Braveheart. <laughs> and we know the great line from Braveheart, right? You may take my life, but you will not take my freedom. freedom. Yes, so awesome. Uh, but he died. <laughs> but he died. So it made a great flick, but at the end of the day, there was this other power there called, called the English Empire, and they couldn't fight that. And, and in every, every story, there is this sense that the state 
to defend our freedom and our way of life, that that is the pinnacle of how we get to utopia. Israel thought this. And Israel, because she began to see herself as the, the utopia that God, that we're God's favored people, rather than being a light to the Gentiles, they began to neglect the poor. They began to, to, to be so proud that they were Israel that they didn't care about the least of these. And God took them into exile. He said, you forgot. It wasn't about nationalism. It was about being my people. The state is a story And I love being an American, and I love our freedoms, but we have to be honest, it takes a lot of military might to to be a state and to be a free nation, because we don't live in a world that any government has created utopia. We just don't. The second, the third story that we find ourselves in is this story of the economy, right? Economics. And the story of economics is that anyone can be a millionaire, if we could put the slide up. Right? Everyone has equal opportunity to create wealth and happiness. That is in a capitalist system. In a communist system, it would be everyone should be the same. Nobody should have, like, there shouldn't be any status. Um, the, the movie that sort of encapsulate this is The Pursuit of Happiness. And it's this great story about, and it's a true story, about a man with a young son and they were practically homeless for a period of time and he educates himself and makes himself a millionaire, right? Through his own efforts. And that while there is opportunity for that, we also recognize after 2008 that there's some things about economics that can be corrupted, like a bank that would sell loans based on financial products that don't really exist. And then the securities company will package those loans and pretend they're worth something when really they're meaningless. And then when that all bursts, a whole bunch of people, regular people, lose their jobs and their houses and stuff like that. Is that a story you want to bank your life on? No. Good. That's the right answer. Jesus and no. (laughs) And the problem with these stories is that they, they can never allow a critical evaluation of themselves. They have to continue to tell that story even though there is clearly cracks and holes in it, to self-legitimize their story. They are, are also stories that can't afford to be self-critical, otherwise the conscience will kick in. And we'll realize that this economy might be good, but maybe not for all people. And those freedoms might be good, but they might not be for all people, and so forth and so on. But we don't want to tell those stories. What I love about being a Christian, what has kept me in the game for 30 years as a pastor, is how brutally honest the Bible is. Right? There's no wink and look the other way with God. 
And so there are fatal flaws in these three stories. The first fatal flaw is just fallenness, right? No human being who starts out to create its own philosophy can build utopia by ourselves. It's just impossible. There's a fallenness that breaks my individualism that says at some point I am going to trample on the other in order to protect myself. We're not all good people, and our Bibles teach us this. At some point, this caves in on itself. There is a sin problem that we have to recognize. And the other is finiteness, that, that we are trying to describe utopia for all people through individualism or for, through our, our state or through economics, but we are just these infinitesimal specks in this universe and throughout history. One man, one country, one view, fallen by nature with broken values. Those are the stories that we're invited to trust in and to put all of our heart in. We are living out our faith in the middle of these other stories. And the truth is we're tempted by these stories to give in to them. To, to sort of meld our faith with them. And there are aspects of the story that we have to participate in. We need to be good citizens. We need to appreciate our country. We need to work and make money and do those kinds of things. But where we are tempted to make them the story and make Jesus a subplot, then we're falling down the wrong hole, Right? Jesus is not a subplot. He is the story. And so we have these three stories that have, have been told for a long time. And then there is this postmodern, what we would call postmodern reaction, right? Against these stories. Frederick Nietzsche, you know, we're, we all are familiar with him saying, God is dead. And there's always the joke, right? God is dead. And Nietzsche. And, God says, no, Nietzsche's dead, and, right? Because he's dead. Um, but Nietzsche, when he wrote God was dead, he didn't necessarily see it as a good thing. He says this in, in a book he wrote called Twilight of Idols. He said, when one gives up the Christian faith and pulls the right to Christian morality from under one's feet, this morality is by no means self-evident. Christianity is a system. In other words, he's saying if you don't have God, you're not going to have a reason to obey and to have God-like morality. By breaking one main concept out of it, the faith in God, one breaks the whole. You can't take away God and expect everyone to still be good people or even try to be good people. And so in the will to power, he writes that what I relate to this is the history of what's gonna happen in the next two centuries. This is him looking forward. And he says, I describe what is coming and what no longer can come differently, the advent of nihilism. Nihilism, 
is a philosophy of life that you can't ever really live out because you're basically saying that everything is meaningless. There is no meaning. Not in any of those other three stories, not in a story I invented. There's just no meaning. And he says, for some time now, our whole European culture has been moving as toward a catastrophe. Right? This is Nietzsche, who realizes that if the story is based on humanity alone and there is no God involved, then instead of using that to, to create progress, what will actually happen is the opposite and will turn into more like animals and turn in on ourselves and it'll be a catastrophe. And so he predicted that in the future we would see nihilism and totalitarianism take over. And brothers, I'm here to tell you it's already here, right? It's already here. And so this is where we are today. There is this new tribalism that, that, that some people call identity politics. And it's basically a reaction to these three stories and an overreaction. So I want you to look at this slide for me. Can you put it up? All right. I hope you can see that, but you see there are all these issues that are taking place today. These are broad groupings from Black Lives Matter to gender issues to gun control to immigration and politics and to the environment. And all of these groups are telling a story, right? Some of us would look at those stories and go, yeah, I, I agree with this one. The problem is, as Christians, we're trying to go, where does Christ, can you leave it up there for me? Where does Christ fit into this? Like maybe, you know, Jesus is for racial reconciliation, so maybe he can kind of go over to Black Lives Matter, but then they take it a little too far on some issues. And then the gender thing, yeah, that's, that's really hard. Um, we're probably not going to go there. And then gun control, we're like, yeah, we like guns. I love to hunt. And then you realize, well, there's been more mass killings in our country this year than there has been days. So you're like, eh, okay. Where, where's Jesus in that, though? Where, what should Jesus, what would Jesus do? And then immigration and, and those issues are so intense right now. And our Hispanic brothers are right in the midst of this where, where people don't want to go to church because they don't know if the ice is going to be there. And I say, Hispanic brothers, emphasis is on brothers. These are our brothers, right? And there's, and there's the environmental issue, right? And G, you know, God said... He put us here to steward the earth, but I don't know if I should go live in a tree. Uh, you know, I'm so we're trying to figure out, like, where does Jesus fit? And the problem is that I, there are churches that are completely selling out the gospel so that they can find alignment and say, no, Jesus is cool with that. Can you go to the next slide? The reality is those are just the tip of the iceberg. 
the bigger questions of life, like why am I here? What, what is the meaning of life? What is the point of all this? Where is history going? That's where Jesus traveled. It's not about bumper sticker Christianity in a bumper sticker world. We live at a time where we see absolute nihilism going on. If we're killing mass shootings every day of the year, and yet we're still like, yeah, I don't think there should be background checks. I don't want to wait too long, right? In New York City, there are 31 legal pronouns that if you don't use as an employer or as an educator, you can be sued $250,000. Pick your own pronoun. But we should moan just as much for the fact that there's shootings happening every day as there are pronouns in New York, right? Because these are not our stories. Jesus traveled beneath the glacier, getting to the heart, getting to the point, getting to what is truly his message, which is, I have come that they might have life and have it abundantly. I have come that I might reconcile all things and bring us back to the shalom that we had in the garden. Shalom means that there is peace with God and peace with one another and peace with creation. This is where history is going. And this is what our moment looks like. And if you're in a rural place, you're like, ah, it doesn't totally look like that. But the truth is, it might not have the same little tiny identity groups. But those stories are hardly wired into the fabric of our culture. Either the reaction to the story or the stories themselves. And the, the truth is, God has ordained it. God has ordained it that this would be your time to live faithfully as his son. God has ordained it that this moment in the culture that we live in, that you and I would live out his gospel by the power of his spirit. And, and I am really hopeful. I'm hopeful because our story is not based on human philosophy, right? But on God's revelation that God has spoken to us through creation and spoken to us through history and spoken to us through his son. Hebrews chapter 1. In the past, God spoke to our ancestors through the prophets at many times and in various ways, but in these last days, he has spoken to us by his Son, whom he appointed heir of all things and through whom he also made the universe. The Son is the radiance of God's glory and the exact representation of his being, sustaining all things by his powerful 
word. That's the story that you're in. A story that begins with God said and ends with hallelujah. Our story has been a story that is alive and victorious through every generation, through every culture, through every era, and through every philosophical system, and no one has put it out and hasn't stopped it. The truth is, if the church was a business, we would have went bankrupt by Acts 5, right? <laughs> Like, this is a bunch of messed up, broken people who are now supposed to be the signpost of the kingdom of God, and yet 2,000 years later, there's a 1,000 people in the middle of nowhere, Oregon, who worship him still, right? Our story is unstoppable. And our story is good news for all people at all times. And we believe that with our heart. And it calls us to live in a different way. And this is the time. This is the time, men. You as God's men have been called to be faithful to your king. Not as a subplot, but as the story. And so what would it look like for a thousand, thirteen hundred, whatever it is, men, to say to Jesus that Jesus, you actually are my Alpha and Omega. You actually are the beginning and end of my life. Jesus, I am going to seek you with all my heart and to seek your kingdom, trusting that you're going to provide everything else as well. What would need to change in your life if Jesus wasn't just the subplot to your life story, but actually was the story? And I can tell you what would happen, because Scripture teaches us what would happen. We would cause a riot in our cities. People would be threatened by the fact that people are turning to Christ and away from sin or away from these other stories, right? When Paul goes into Ephesus and he preaches the gospel, it causes a riot, and it causes a riot because people are no longer worshiping the idol, and the idols get built and manufactured in Ephesus. So it's like, this is going to wreck the economy, we started a thing years ago called Advent Conspiracy. Me and three or four other pastors, because at Christmas in America, we spend $650 billion on Christmas. And to put that in perspective, we could solve the world water crisis for $20 billion. But, you know, we need all that stuff that we got, right? You remember all the Christmas gifts from last year, right? No, you don't, because we threw them away or whatever. And we just said, like, this is our story. We should take it back. 
And so we said, what if we spent less? What if we made it about worshiping Jesus? What if we collected the money we didn't spend on gifts and did something to love the least of these with it? And the story caught on and took hold. And we began to have companies that didn't have anything to do with Jesus be like, can we do that too? And we're like, yeah, you can worship Jesus instead of spending a lot of money at Christmas. But what it shows us is that the stories, these contemporary stories, they begin to fold in on themselves and they don't work. I'm not worried about what happens uh, and needing, feeling the need to respond to all the gender question pressures. I just say, let's just wait because everything's going to implode eventually because the human heart cannot be sustained on something the human heart created. It can only be sustained by the one who created it and for whom it was created for. Amen. So it's my prayer this weekend, and we'll get into it tomorrow, uh, that as we look to God's word and as we spend time together and pour into each other's life and open up together, as we, as we push on each other and these stories that maybe we have grown way too familiar with and put way too much hope in, that we would come away finding that Jesus actually is the all-satisfying God that he has always told us he has been. Let's pray. Father God, I thank you so much for each and every man in this room. God, whether they have trusted you and believed in you for as long as they can remember, or whether they're just here and they're going, I don't even know what this thing's about, I'm, I thank you for each one of them, God. Um, Father, we want to be people who are so faithful to you in this moment, that the way that we live our life would look peculiar, it would look strange. The way that we think about money and power would look upside down like, like you, God. And I pray, Holy Spirit, that you would come in power upon us this weekend that you would expose secrets that we've kept hidden, not to shame anybody, God, but so we can be set free by confessing our sins to one another. That, that those of us, God, that have been apathetic and you really have been a subplot in our life or maybe a sub, sub, subplot, that this would be a time of renewal, a time where confessions are made and repentance is given and new beginnings happen this weekend. And so Jesus, tonight we declare that we pledge allegiance to you alone and you are our king. You are the one that we will yell, you may take my life, but you cannot take my savior because he is the resurrected and risen king of the world. Amen.